Good morning, everyone. Just in case you don't know and want to know, my name is Jason, and I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant, and uh, I'm excited to be here this morning with you guys. We're going to be in John 4, and we're looking at uh, the story of Jesus and the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. And if you've been in church for a while, uh, you've probably heard this story. If you've not been in church and don't know this story, it's a great picture, really, of the message of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, as we open your word, as we let your word begin to uh, convict of sin, as your word speaks the truth of the gospel and brings life to our weary bones, I ask you to prepare our hearts right now, Father, to hear from you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So John 4 Let's go ahead and look real quick here at uh, verse 13 in John 4. It's going to kind of jump us off today. It's one little verse. She was looking for water, and we're going to get to that in a minute, and Jesus says this right here. He said, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, the water in the well, will be thirsty again. And that phrase who drinks of this water, the picture he's trying to make is this right here, the water of this world, who drinks of this water, they will be thirsty again. What a just relevant topic for us today. If you didn't know, there was an election this past week. And I think about four years ago, a lot of people, Republicans, they were satisfied. Four years later, Democrats apparently, maybe, are satisfied. And if our recent history comes up again, and four years ago, the other side will be satisfied. Here is, here is the truth, friends. The earthly king will never satisfy. The only king that's going to satisfy is the eternal living water of Jesus. So our souls, do they, they do cry out for something. We cry out for a king. But listen, friends, our aspirations, our hopes, they're misguided. Because in four years from now, you won't get it relieved or, or fixed. It's always going to be wanting more. But listen, that's our entire world. Our entire world, in a sense, is set up, is, is designed, and we kind of fall prey to these little things that we think if we just keep drinking again, that finally this time it will satisfy. You think about all these life milestones that you're promised. Okay, if you graduate college, if you just get through that period of your life, you can then do what you want to do. You'll be satisfied. But then you graduate college and you go to the, to the real world and it's not very um, fun sometimes, is it? Or, or you think, okay, if I could just find someone Amen. Meet someone, someone who kind of likes me, can at least put up with me for the rest of their lives. Then I will finally be satisfied. And you wake up and you're married to a sinner, as are you. And, and marriage doesn't just satisfy, does it? So what do we do? We have kids, right? And kids are great. They're a blessing from God. But they do not always satisfy, do they? Or we just do this. Have you ever done this before? Like you just see this thing. It could be a car, 
could be a couch, just whatever, it could be a watch, could be a device, whatever your thing is, and you just want that thing. You might even do the right thing and save up your cash money and take an envelope of cash and you buy that thing, or you put it on credit and you buy that thing. And then the next day you realize this thing is nice, but this thing just doesn't satisfy, does it? And we do this cycle over and over and over again. The best though is like vacations, right? You work and you work and you go to vacation and if it's without kids, it's glorious and you spend the few days, maybe the week and you live it up and you're resting, you're sleeping in, you're eating good food, you're seeing great things. But then guess what? You're going home. Vacation is over. Work is always on Monday, isn't it? And we live these lives Wanting and wanting. Here's mine. I'll, I'll give you mine. I won't just pick on all of us. I'll pick on myself for a moment. As I was praying this week, I realized something about my soul is I live for good times. Here's what I mean. I live for good circumstances. When the family's happy, there's money in the bank, there's no big problems happening. I just live for those times. Like last Sunday evening, we as a church, we had our little partner dinner and it was done in our, our, our groups and it was a really encouraging night. We met as a staff on Monday and we were encouraged as we should be. God is at work. But then Tuesday came and Wednesday came and then new problems arise. And it just hit me that for me, the well that I go to are good circumstances and that well never satisfies so the question for us, here's, I'll show you my hope for today. It's a kind of a mean hope, but it's a good hope in the long run. Is I want us as a people to take a big old drink of the things that we're used to drinking, to imagine them, the, the ways that we look for satisfaction. And I want that taste to be so bitter. I want us to see that it does not satisfy. And then my prayer is that we turn. And we turn to this right here. Look at John 4, 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. This is the hope of the church. This is the hope of all people that will drink of the true living water and never be thirsty again. So Jesus is helping this woman at the well see this very point. That the well, the water she's going after, it cannot possibly satisfy. The only one thing can satisfy. But for us to really understand what Jesus is saying here in this passage, we must take a moment and kind of zoom out for a second and understand the context of what's happening in the book of John. So in John 3, we see Jesus, Luke preaches a few weeks ago, he meets this man, Nicodemus. And he basically explain salvation to Nicodemus. And then just a chapter later, verses later in John 4, we see Jesus talking to this woman at the well. And once again, basically explaining salvation. John 3, John 4, but two very, very different people. You see, Nicodemus was a male. Look at John four twenty-seven, real quick in this passage. And look at their response to this being a woman and that Jesus himself is talking to her. 427. His disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. It's like me and me in high school. Oh, he's talking to a girl. Good job, Jason. They marveled at that. 
but they could not believe that Jesus was stooping down, taking time to talk to a woman. Now, Nicodemus was a man. That, that makes sense. They could relate to that. They can understand that. But the author of this book, the author John, is painting this picture. Let's keep going. She wasn't just a female. She was also a sinner. See, Nicodemus, he was a religious man, a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. Verse 6 in John 4. It says here, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, where as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So in that time, that was like the middle of the day. The hottest time of the day. Jesus is sitting there. He's tired. He wants some water. But then a woman from Samaria came to draw water. This all may seem like it's benign, but it has great implications. See, at this time, a woman would never come to draw water. It was too hot, and she would never come alone. But see, this woman, unlike Nicodemus, she had a past. She was a sinner. It says later in this past, she had five husbands. And so this woman, embarrassed and shameful in her sin, she comes alone. She comes by herself, praying no one would see her. You ever done that before? You go to Target, you're wearing that bad shirt, you haven't showered, you're just praying nobody sees you, right? Like no one, and of course you see your coworker, Luke there, just saying hi to you. And, and you're just praying no one sees you. But imagine this woman so ashamed of her sin, at her status in life. She had failed and failed and failed, going by herself. She was a sinner, unlike Nicodemus, who was this religious man. Then third thing, he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. We see here in, in verse three, it says here, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So imagine on a map, I don't do maps, just so we're clear, but I do know this much. Galilee was north. I got that. North means up, I believe. And he departed, headed towards Galilee. And where he was, it's a straight shot to Galilee. And it says here, he had to pass through Samaria because the custom of most Jews in that time, the division was so strong between the Jews and Samaritans that the Jews would go around Samaria to get to Galilee. Like they just did not go there. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. See, this history with the Samaritans can be traced back to the division of the kingdom of Israel with King David. And after the reign of, his, of David, his son Solomon. See, when David became king of the Jews, he conquered Jerusalem and he made it the center of worship where the temple was, the nation's capital. But when Solomon's kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah, those who were in the northern kingdom, they made Samaria as their capital. And the northern kingdom was defeated by Assyria, and from there, many of the Jews were deported and pagans were brought in. And so you had the pagans and you had the Jews who then became like this mixed breed, the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, they didn't worship in Jerusalem. They only recognized the first five books of the Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms. For them, that was not Holy Scripture. So you had these half-breeds who worship somewhere else, who don't take the whole scripture seriously, have all these differences that caused huge dissension. 
So you have Jesus here talking to a woman who was a sinner, who was a Samaritan. And I don't say this lightly. This was scandalous. For a watching world, for a watching Jew, for a reading Jew in this gospel, this was scandalous. They would sit up and say, okay, what is going on here? But see, Jesus is making a point. Go back to verse uh, verse 3, verse 4. It says, he had to pass through Samaria. This is not a geographical point. This is a sovereign God leading Jesus here to make this point. It's not just for Jews to love Samaritans, although it is true, that Jesus came for the other. Friends, Jesus came for the other. And we, the Jesus people, this is not really one of my points today, so I'm just going to get this out. Jesus came for the other, and we are called to go and do likewise. And in the midst, and this is the, the other can mean a plethora of things. Of course, it's racial. Of course, we're called to love other people different than us. Of course, it's religious. We're, we're called to love all kinds of people in all kinds of places. But in the midst of this just highly contentious time, we're also called to love the other person politically. Just got to say this for a moment. I read a tweet this week from from a a church leader, and he said, we live in a country divided, and we need a unified church. We'd all say amen to that, I I would hope. But then I read the comments, never read comments, just never read comments, because my heart was just torn at the pastors that were just preaching disunity over and over and over and over again. Listen, this world is going to set themselves on fire. This world is going to do that. The church is called to be the bridge builders. We're called just like our Savior Jesus did. The model of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, we go and we love the other. We don't go and necessarily agree with the other. We don't subscribe to their ethics or their worldview, but we do go and love the other. We do. And for us, this is just simple things. This is us committing. Here's part of the issue. This, I just read, I heard in a podcast this week that both sides of this thing, we have our own worlds, right? We have our own friends, our own news networks, our own social media feeds, our own podcasts. We live in this world. And the other side lives in this world with our own friends, podcasts, news networks, social media feeds. And we never talk to each other, do we? We talk at each other. We yell at each other. We never talk to each other. So in, in the way of Jesus, the church goes and loves the other. The ones who are different culturally, the ones who are sinners, we go and we love them in the name of Jesus. And here's just three ways you do this. This week, go and have coffee with someone who thinks differently than you politically. You see their feed and they make you mad every single time you read it. Invite them for coffee. They're a human made in the image of God. Have coffee with them. Second, the voices in this world that are preaching over and over division, block those voices out of your life. We are hearing these voices over and over and over again, and we must learn to hear this voice above everything else. And so that is my sub point that means nothing to my text today. But as we go back 
to um, what we see here, the main thought. This water of the world that is simply insufficient. There's three things we see here. There is three ways the water of this world, hear this friends, will simply not, not satisfy. First, this right here. The water of this world gives us an insufficient identity. An insufficient identity. Look at verse six again. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, excuse me, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They are great friends, apparently. As you read this, it's striking how John is painting this picture. For this woman with just this completely broken identity. Six hour, she's hiding. She hopes no one can possibly see her, hoping to be alone. And who does she meet there? Isn't that our story a little bit? When we're completely in our shame. Have you ever been in that place in your life where you've confessed that sin for the thousandth time in a row? And you just are done with yourself. You hope nobody really sees you and you're just this unseen, shameful person. And then Jesus steps up. He steps up. See, she's fully aware of how the world sees her. That's how we know she's going midday. She's aware of how the world sees her and how she probably sees herself. Living in complete shame. Shame is her identity. Look at verse 16. This is what's beautiful. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Reminds me of my kids when I catch them, doesn't it? Oh, no, I don't have a husband. No, 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 no. You don't know this. But then he keeps going. Jesus said to her, no, you're right saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The one said to him, I perceive, sir, that you are a prophet. In spite of her shame, in spite of her gender, in spite of her race, Jesus doesn't budge. He doesn't budge. What does he do? He moves forward. And can you imagine her? Can you imagine? You know the sins in your head, right? or at least the sins no one has seen you do. But the son, the Messiah, coming and just confronting you with your sin. But he's not going anywhere. She's probably dying to run away in shame, but her curiosity keeps her there. I said, sir, you must be a prophet. Absolutely. So she sits there because Jesus doesn't move. He reveals. See, he doesn't necessarily just send her away, but he reveals the insufficient identity that she has. She went from unseen and full of shame. This right here. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah, the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. A sinful Samaritan 
woman. And Jesus confronts her in her sin, reveals her broken identity, and then says, I am the Messiah. And there is this subtext there. I am the Messiah, and I'm here talking to you. Friends, that is good news. Because Jesus knows He knows every hair on our heads. He knows every sin that we have. But yet Jesus is here and he's not budging, but he is revealing our insufficient identity. You see, what we all, the core of us, the core of me, I know this, is we never feel like we're enough, do we? Like every field you're in, It's like you're fraud as a pastor, a fraud as a doctor, a fraud as a teacher. We all feel like we're frauds on some level, correct? At the core, we want a verdict that says we are enough. I read this in a book. This is from uh, Madonna. This is, I'm so dated right now, I apologize. Using Madonna, but but very successful um, recording artist, uh, young people. And she says this right here. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. Listen, friends, you're all very talented Nobody in this room will ever be as successful and as known as this person. And she's saying, she's revealing that the water of this world, it's bitter and it does not satisfy. But here's this, Jesus knows us. He knows our insufficient identity. He knows it's built on these false things, but he's inviting us in anyways. And in the process, he reveals how insufficient our ways of achieving identity have become. But this this water of the world that we drink does not just provide an insufficient identity. It also, as we drink it, it provides insufficient power. Insufficient power. Go to verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. She is living in this kind of fleshly world, and Jesus is way up here in the spiritual. Where do you get that living water? Like it's a coupon service or something. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this world will be thirsty again. All the things she has turned to in her life do not satisfy. I would imagine husband after husband do not satisfy. Going to this well and hiding, trying to satisfy her thirst, do not fully satisfy. And she's also insufficient to cover her sin and shame. She and we have no power to cover our sin We just sang what covers our sin, right? It's the blood of Jesus. But apart from the blood of Jesus, we live in this like lack of power and shame because we can't, we have, we have no sufficiency to cover this ourselves. Jesus here is revealing by saying this water does not satisfy what she inherently already knows. 
She doesn't have the power to fix herself or make herself whole or to satisfy the longings of her heart and her soul. And see, two areas that we see this in our lives in particular, this lack of power. The first is this right here. We have the lack of power over sin. We feel this lack of power over sin. Even as Christians, many times we feel like the flesh is winning. We feel this lack of power over our sin. As I said earlier, it can feel hopeless to walk in the same struggles over and over again, right? So we, we, we sense the insufficiency and the power of this world. But we also, we just feel we are just never satisfied. We live in, in the, the, the most luxurious, easiest most knowledge we could ever find in the history of our world. But yet we're never satisfied. C.S. Lewis says it like this. I love this. He called it, it's an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. It's an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. What that means is we just want more and more. It won't give us satisfaction. It's called a junk food life, right? Chief of sinners right here. It's a junk food life and it's just never satisfying. Don't y'all feel that? You experience that? That these things that we're pursuing do not, cannot satisfy. So this passage reveals our insufficient identity. It shows us that we're relying and pursuing an insufficient power. But, but lastly, it's also revealing an insufficient purpose. Now, Luke will do kind of part two of this next week, and we'll cover this in more detail. But I do want to address it today. Look at verse 31 in John 4. We're kind of going forward a little bit here. It says here, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. They saw him talking to her, and he has, they knew it was midday, and they probably figured he was hungry, and that was the main point of what's going on. Saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone bought him something to eat? I love that. That is so me, isn't it? Like, oh, he has some food in his pocket, I guess. But Jesus said to them, my food through the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, the disciples were focused on the temporal. They were focused on today. But Jesus' mind was focused on the eternal work of his father. And see, what we're seeing here is this temporal, everyday focus that we have as people, it cannot satisfy. And see, the water of this world, it deceives us into this complete focus on the things of the world, on the things of today. See, our minds are wrapped up with the next thing, the next initiative, the next promotion. See, we get a sip of this purpose and it doesn't satisfy, but it leads us to pursuing these lesser purposes more and more. I would would tell you this, more money, more problems. And I just did that. There is this real sense that we feel like, I apologize for that, guys. I really do. I am not cool enough to do that. But it's in my notes, so I had to do it. But listen, there is this sense, and we all feel this, that the purpose of our lives is to achieve and accomplish more and more and more. And if we do just enough, we'll be satisfied. Go to Matthew 6 real quick. I'm on time right now. I'm okay. Matthew 6. 
If y'all want to, y'all can leave, I guess, but I'm going to keep preaching. Matthew 6. This is probably, me and my family, is like, this is like our passage. If we need to like get something from Hobby Lobby with this on there, this is our thing. Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that's the pagans, seek after all these things. And your heavenly father, he knows these things. He knows you need them. But here is the key. But seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And what's that last part say? All these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow, hear this, friends, it will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We are seeking after we eat, wear, and live over everything else. It's a lesser purpose that will never satisfy the longings of your soul. There's a longing in all of our souls made in the image of God that we are called to do more. But we settle for the RC Cola of this, right? We settle for these lesser purposes. Here's my hope. That we see Jesus... And as he reveals this insufficiency of our identity, our power, our purpose, that it's like we take this sip of this drink and we spit it out. We were praying earlier and Dylan was in there, Dylan Cole, and we were praying about today. And I said, yeah, we're talking about the living water, how it satisfies and how sin does. He's like, yeah, it's like poison. So that's right, Dylan, it's like poison. That today we would see these lesser things for what they are. They're poison that will never possibly satisfy. And all this, this revealing of the insufficiency of the water and the well of this world leads to our main thought today and our final thought. Verse 14 in John 4. And Phil read this earlier, but I want to end with this today. But, that word but there is huge. This is the opposite. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Let me read that again. I pray that it seeps down into our souls and we believe this. Whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And here's our praise, our response today in verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I, I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Friends, there is living water. We can stop looking and settling for these lesser drinks. Go to the fountain. Jesus is saying here, if she will turn to him and take one sip of this living water, her thirst will be quenched. But the promise continues. Not only is her thirst quenched, but she will always have access to the living water. This living water will become a spring of water within her. We never need to be desperate again. Because if you're like me, you put your faith in Jesus, hopefully most of you in this room, but yet we still feel thirsty, right? On some level. Here is the key. Jesus is saying here, living water means life-giving water. 
What he's saying here is you have found the well to return to. This is the microcosm of the entire message of Jesus. This is take up your cross daily and follow me. What that means is destroy, run, flee from the lesser wells every single day and come to this fountain. And I promise, friends, you will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. And as this woman, the Samaritan woman drinks this water, this living water gives her a sufficient identity in which her sin is covered and paid for and she goes from enemy to daughter of the king. She's given a new identity, but also she's given a sufficient power that enables her to walk in the freedom and power over sin and power over her shame and live this new life. And then it gives her a new purpose to go and do the work of the Father. And friends, this is the drink. This is the water that's promised to us, the children of God. This is the water that finally quenches our thirst. And we come and we gather to be reminded and inspired and spurred on to come back to this well. There's no more searching, friends. There's no more looking. There's no more wondering. The water, the living water of Jesus Christ can quench every thirst we have. So the question today is, what do we do? I think most of us would agree, yes, Jesus is the living water. I agree with you, Jason. You can stop yelling now. But what do we actually do? Like, how do we take this idea in verse 14 to drink this living water and never be thirsty again? How does that work tomorrow in my life? I'm going to give us kind of four ways to walk in this. And if you would, just take out your card real quick. Your little little card right here. You're given one. It's on your table, uh, maybe. And, And I want you to take this because I want to pray for you. I want to be able to encourage you and kind of walk with you through this because I I believe God is encouraging all of us to respond today. And I would encourage you as you pray, let me know how you respond or come pray with us in the back so we can kind of follow up with you and help you take some next steps. So here's, there's kind of four ways I would encourage you to walk through this. The first, this right here. First is to admit your thirst. Admit your thirst. This is the great humbling. That's what this is. This is you looking at the five or six things in your life and saying those are not working. Those are not sufficient. And simply admit your thirst. This is that piece of really confession. That's what this is. Second, it's a little harder. Destroy the insufficient wells. We have to destroy the strongholds in our lives. There are certain wells that rise up in the life of a believer that the enemy puts in our path. For many men in this room, that stronghold is pornography. It's that hidden sin of you going to over and over again looking for some kind of satisfaction. And if you're honest today, it never satisfies It's a deeper shame and further away from Christ. But there are strongholds. There are wells that we come back to over and over again. And the the act of repentance is painful. 
As we destroy these strongholds, as we destroy the insufficient wells that we're declaring do not satisfy, this is going to mean change in your life. I'll give you an example. Here recently, uh, me and my friend Layton, we decided to like, we're going to talk on the phone every single day. And we're going to drag the darkness into the light to help us to not live in strongholds, to not live for the insufficient wells. We had to commit to this practice to help us walk in the joy of the living water of Jesus. So you have to destroy these strongholds. And this is going to be painful. It's going to mean change. But here's the good news. is the community of faith. We're called to do this together. This is the accountability and the encouragement of the body of Christ. Listen, you need eyes in your life to cover blind spots, to watch out for sins in your life. You need the encouragement to keep fighting, to go back to that well of living water, correct? This is the purpose of the community of faith. Third thing, believe that Jesus is the living water. You confess, you repent, you believe, not just in your mind, but this from the center of your soul and your life. It's the trust fall of your soul, right? It's saying, Jesus, you've got this. I give you everything. And, and I believe there's people in this room. We have the Nicodemus, the religious, who have looked at the well of their good works and what they know, but they're not truly satisfied. We have people in this room, the irreligious, the ones who are living in shame and in hiding. Today is the day to step across that line of faith and believe. Believe that Jesus is the living water. And last thing, drink the living water daily. Drink the living water today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day. Listen, friends, this well, this living water flowing up is the center of your life. And if you don't arrange your life to pursue this every single day, you're going to be dry. You're going to be dissatisfied. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to live in shame. So we have to. We make plans for everything. We have to figure out a way to make the living water what we go to every single day. Listen, friends, I don't know what God is doing in your life today. But I know this, I believe God's at work. God wants to hear from us. And I would love to pray with you or at least be able to pray this week for you through some kind of next step. So let us know how God's at work in your life. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, you are sufficient. You are sufficient. Lord, forgive us for turning to lesser, more insufficient things. Lord, let your gentle voice invite us into your love today. Lord, give us the courage and the faith to respond. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.